Amen. Let's, uh, let's find Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is life unto us. I'm asking God, even now, let a spirit of wisdom and revelation fall on this house. Let it fall on our hearts. Let our hearts and minds electrify and come alive. The word of God. Let it enrich us. Draw us in to intimacy with your son, Abba. Kingdom of heaven. It's like a good God, a good father who arranged a marriage for his son. Lord, draw us in to that revelation. And allure us and woo our hearts even again tonight that we would know you more. I'm asking God, release vision for fullness. Open the eyes of our understanding and break in with light tonight. Lord, I'm asking, would you give us tokens of your spirit Give us tokens of your spirit, God, that would would satisfy the longing. In the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. Good. Ephesians 3. Tonight I want to talk about a vision for fullness. I use this term, I'm going to define it throughout the evening. Fullness is not a term you hear often. And, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna have to go into it and give some explanation to it. But we believe that there's something called fullness coming to the body of Christ. Fullness. So we'll describe that. Let's look at Ephesians 3. Let's look at verse 16. Don't you love the sound of rain on a metal roof? I love it. Don't fall asleep. One of those soothing, sweet sounds. All right, look at verse 16 of Ephesians 3. This is one of the 45 or so apostolic prayers in the Bible. Some are doxology, some are benedictions. Some are just supplications. Verse 16, it says this. Let's just look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. The whole family in heaven and earth. You got family members in heaven. It's not necessarily somebody that was born in your family, but they're your family. Verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you would be filled, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's where we get this term, fullness. Now to Him, who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church. 
by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Fullness, the message of fullness, is one of the five core messages that we proclaim from IHOP. We proclaim the message of intimacy. We proclaim the message of the urgency of the hour. And then fullness. We also preach about a fasted lifestyle and outreach to the, the poor. Fullness is, of the five, the one that gives the most vision. It grants vision. So I just want to go through this thing and explain this concept because uh, we talk, we use a lot of terms, but we don't usually use this term. Hopefully after tonight we will use this term more often because I think it's a biblical term to explain what God uh, has dreamt about for His church from eternity past. He's thought about a group of people, a community, a global community that, that will eventually be uh, his, his son's bride, but on this side and in this age, walking in this thing that he has provided called fullness. And so I'm excited about this. I'm excited about fullness. Now, I'm just going to work through this. I want to I lay some groundwork. Why is it essential for us to define and, and cover this message? Three reasons if you're taking notes. Number one, fullness will always draw us back into the romance. It will always draw us back into the romance. So let's look at this. Let's look through these verses again. And let me just sort of give my own explanation of verses 16 through 20 or so. When we pray this, we pray this apostolic prayer several times, probably a day here. We, we pray from the apostolic prayers. There's some 45 and we use an abbreviated uh, uh, list. You can get one on the way out. It's in the lobby. What the apostolic prayers are, the only thing that makes them uh, apostolic is that the apostles prayed them. <laughs> there you have it. A lot of times people get spooky about this, this term apostolic. And we just mean it to define the activity of the apostles. And so we call these apostolic prayers. And, and so we pray this several times a day. Now, I want to try to give a little bit more into this and... Uh, and then expand this idea about how it draws us into the romance. So we, so we pray this. We go, God, we ask you, according to your, the riches of your glory, that you would strengthen the church with might by your spirit and your inner man. What are we saying? According to the riches of the glory of God. Have you considered the vast riches that God not even has? I mean, that of God, who he is, the abundance of God. He goes, according to the riches of your glory. He goes, according to the wealth, and this word glory is literally abundance. According to the wealth of the abundance of who you are, God. Because I'm asking for the church that out of the storehouse of wealth and amazing glory that you have, the abundance of all that you are, that you would grant something. You would grant your church to be uh, strengthened. That word, it literally means invigorated. It, it, it's a word that literally means infused with life, infused with energy. So Paul, when Paul's standing there and he's praying for the, the church at Ephesus, he's praying for the church in the body of Christ, he's not just praying some, you know, words that are just, you know, flowery or whatever and sound good and biblical. He's, he is praying 
from the depths of his heart that God would reach into the being of the depths of his being and, and pull out glory that would infiltrate and give life to the believers, that the believers would be infused with life and come alive because God would reach into his vast wealth and impart that into the hearts of the believers. Because I'm praying that you would strengthen them with might in their inner man. See, the might that he strengthens them with, that word is actually dunamis. It's the same word that we, in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He goes, I want you to invigorate them with life, and I want you to infiltrate their whole being with miracles, signs, and wonders, and mighty acts. That's what dun- dunamis is. We use the word power a lot uh, to describe a lot of things, but the word that Acts 1.8 describes, you shall receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word is specifically talking about mighty acts, miracles, signs, and wonders. The Greek word is dunamis. It's not, that was a powerful drama. Wow, it was powerful. It's, that word only works for the drama if the drama gets people saved, delivered, and healed. If mighty acts and signs and wonders break out, then the word power actually works to describe the drama. But we go, oh, it was powerful when... Uh, you know, the Lion King, when he died on the movie, that was powerful. No, it's not powerful unless might breaks out. Okay, I know it's Easter. We don't need to be religious, right? Come on. All right. So he goes, I'm praying that you'd have a revelation of the indwelling Christ and that you'd be rooted and grounded. It's talking about having your feet firmly established on the fact that from the very beginning of your Christian ancestry, that's what the roots and grounding are talking about. You're standing firm on a revelation that he's praying, that you have from the very beginning of your Christian ancestry, from the very moment you got born again. That's what he's talking He's using ancestral language. Because I'm praying that you would be so firmly established on the fact that when you got born again, God dramatically, dramatically loved you. And that's how you got saved. That's what he's talking about. You'd be rooted and grounded in love. He's talking about when you got saved, when you had your first introduction to Christ, that there was, it was all about the revelation of God's love and his desire for you. He goes, I pray that you'd, you'd have a revelation that Jesus is, that, that the Messiah himself is living within your heart and that you be firmly established on the fact that you learned when you first got saved that he's radically in love with you. It's a lot more to this little prayer than you thought. And he goes, now I'm asking for revelation that you be able to comprehend with all the church, all the saints, four dimensions, the width, the length, and the depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. And as he enters a discussion in these two verses, 18 and 19, the reality of God's vast ocean of desire and intimacy and passionate love for his church. He throws out four dimensions. The last time I checked, we live in three dimensions. But Paul goes ahead and expands it, and he says this thing, he goes, he goes I want you to comprehend it. That word's not talking about a mental comprehension. It's talking about grabbing 
and grappling with something in your heart, coming to understand it, and a living reality of life coming alive inside of you, where you understand that God's love for you, it surpasses anything natural, it surpasses anything that this realm could use to explain it. It's got four dimensions. He goes, and then I like how he does it because he kind of messes with you. He goes, I want you to comprehend it, four dimensions, width, length, depth, and width, length, depth, and height. He goes, and that you would know it, which passes knowledge. See, I'm the kind of guy right there. I go, okay, Paul, stop playing with me. Don't tell me you want me to know something I don't get, that I'll never be able to get. That's what he says. He goes, I want you to know it, this love that passes knowledge. What's he mean? He goes, I want you to know it experientially. I want you to have it, have it resonant within your heart. I want it to flow from your innermost being in such a way. He goes, he goes, it's something your mind won't understand. That's what he's trying to say to you. This love which passes knowledge that you would know it. And then right after that little semicolon that the guys helped us with, punctuators, we get this phrase, which I believe is the point of the prayer. It, it kind of what he does is he builds the prayer, builds the prayer, builds the prayer, builds the prayer, and ends it. He goes, "Here's why. Here's why I'm praying that God would reach into His storehouse of wealth and abundance, strengthen you within your heart, and then uh, give you revelation." Uh, experientially of the knowledge of his love that you be founded on on this love that you encountered when you first got saved that from the, the depth of who you are you'd know love in a in a great measure he goes i'm wanting this that you might be filled with all the fullness of god filled with all the fullness so the message of fullness which i haven't really even explained yet but the message of fullness is essential to us because you can't go to fullness until you go to love. Which is my first point. The message of fullness will always draw you back into love. Every single time. There is no such thing as fullness without love. It is the door to love. Fullness, here's how it works. The idea that you want God to move in a massive, and let me just give you a, a brief definition. A, a massive way in your city, the idea that you want that will draw you back to love. Because the door to fullness is love. And in another way, you could say it this way, the door to love is the desire for fullness. He goes, you want massive sons and winners? He goes, you go, yeah! He goes, you gotta know love first. Something I never understood for years and years and years in the church. I never understood that the door to the supernatural and the outbreak of God, this thing that we call fullness, the full expression of the full measure of God in the earth, the kingdom come for real, I never understood that the door to that was love. Oh, it just, it just causes my heart to ache. They went for years crying for fire and not understanding that fire is love. Song of Solomon 8, he goes, I'm going to seal your heart with fire. He goes, it's my very, he goes, I'm going to seal your heart with love. Put your seal on my heart it's with, a, with a blazing emblem of fiery love. Love is fire. I never understood it. So I'm crying for fire thinking that fire and love are two different things. He goes, no, 
You've got to know my love, the vast ocean of my desire, my emotions. He goes, how I feel about you. He goes, I want you to know all the measures of it. He goes, once you touch this reality of my desire for you, once you're drawn into intimacy, it will open up the door to the supernatural on a measure you've never understood. The whole point. Love has to be there. You've got to be founded and you've got to know it, comprehend it with your heart. Then you can move into fullness. So why is the message of fullness important? Because it takes us back to intimacy. It takes us back into the romance. There is not fullness of the Spirit without fullness of love. Second reason why it's important. It gives us vision for something supernatural yet genuine and real with God. It gives us vision. See, this idea of fullness, I don't think we've ever seen it in any place ever. I mean, there are some transformed cities and perhaps they are touching it. Perhaps that the, the places that have the 95% born again, maybe they are seeing it. But I know we've never seen it in the West. I know that. We think a good meeting is fullness. We are, we are really good at calling a spark a bonfire. We really are. Wow, it's a blaze. The guy's going, I'm just trying to start my lighter. <laughs> we go, it's, oh, it's an inferno. Guy goes, you know, we barely just got the flint. We just barely, you know, chinked it a couple times. It gives us vision. When God, see, there's, there's, these things are resident all through the Bible. He uses these crazy terms. He goes, I want you to know, love, that you can be filled with all the fullness of who I am. Go, yeah, full of the fullness of God. Yeah, have you considered what Revelations 4 and Ezekiel 1 crammed down in a person might look like? I mean, that's just outrageous. And God, I mean, he'll just kind of just throw these phrases in the Bible you know, Moses goes, show me your glory. He goes, if you see my face, you'll die. I go, yep, see God's face. What? He goes, if you see my face, you'll die. And then the next thing, he goes, so I'll hide you and I'll show you my backside. Now, that's just unusual. That God's backside is not as powerful as his front side. It's lethal. It's not as lethal. Well, there's, there are principle, principles of the face of God and what, what flows from God's countenance. The fire, the glory that comes out of His face. Countenance of God, it's deadly. It's gloriously deadly. And so, I don't know why I'm getting over all of this, but the point is, this idea of fullness, it gives us a vision for something way past anything we've ever seen or thought or heard. I want it. I want a people operating in what this is talking about. I, I want that. I, I want to see a, a community of believers with the God of Revelations 4, Ezekiel 1, the whirlwind of fire. Isaiah 66, we'll throw that in there. The whirlwind, there's a whirlwind chariot of fire in that one. We'll throw in Genesis 1, all the creative capacities of God. Because, yeah, I want to cram that into people. So he goes, well, brother, we got that. We you know, we're baptized in the Holy Ghost. We, we, got, we got miracle signs and wonders. We have got this. We've got this, beloved. 
And I'm not mad about it. I mean, it causes my heart to ache because I want at least that. <laughs> and I'm blessed by, by the this is that we have. But don't believe they're that's. Remember, Peter says, this is that. We're, we're pros at calling all of our this is that's. And really, they're this is. That makes sense. My wife told me the other night I sound like Chrissy from Three's Company. A dizzying, I've got a dizzying intellect. <laughs> so I think we shouldn't call our this is that when our this is only this. You know what I want to hold out for is the that. Come on. So it gives us vision for a that. Third thing, why is this an essential message? Why is this an essential message? It's more or less the same. I kind of bladed it over. It challenges not to settle for something that is less than what he's promised. It challenges, not, challenges us not to settle for something less. Not to settle for something less. I think we do a lot of settling. I call them false finish lines. God sets before us a marathon. We go out and we get the jogging suit and the cool shoes. Some are just glad that they got the new shoes. Look at my shoe. Yeah, they're just glad about it. They're glad about the outfit. They've not even run one lap, but they're glad about the outfit. I'm, I'm excited that we got a new outfit in God, that we are new creations in Christ. But he's got something, he's got a dream in his heart for his bride that's so far past the introduction. The introduction is the new outfit, and you get to get up to the, the, the line. But then he says, and we're going to run together. Because we will run together. And we go, great. And we run, and we go off running, and we run one lap. We go, yes. And we stretch our chest, you know, and go across the finish line and, and break the, the tape. God goes, that was one-fourth of one mile. There are 26 more miles to go. And what we generally do is we run around one time. We stop satisfied with a false finish line. I'm not satisfied with a false finish line. I'm not satisfied with calling every spark revival. I'm not satisfied with it. I'm not satisfied with a handful that get saved and, and, and that get healed in a few meetings and the majority stay sick. That's not, no, that's not something we should build mega ministries on and, and, and put it all over the televisions. That the majority stay sick and a handful get healed, that, does not, that makes no sense. It should, it, I mean, I, I thank God for it, that he's so kind. He goes, I will heal them anyway. He goes, I love them and, and you'll believe it and I'll heal them. He goes, oh, no problem. Because there's something I'm dreaming in my heart about a people that will operate in complete fullness and it will be a miracles on demand people. This message challenges us not to stop at a false finish line. I wrote this down. If we settle for something less while he is calling us to something more, we have settled for something false. I'm saying this to myself as strongly as I'm saying it to you. If we settle for something less, while God is dreaming and calling us to something more, 
we have settled for something false. That's why this message of fullness is essential. In this idea, I came up with some hindrances to pressing in for fullness. Hindrances to pressing in for fullness. I'm kind of preaching in lists tonight, but it helps get clarity. Hindrances to pressing in for fullness. Number one, pain. Painful. Here's what happens. We begin to run. We begin to sweat. And anybody that's ever run or worked out, you know how this goes. You're working out, you're running, you're going in God, and you begin to hurt. You're running or working out in the flesh, you begin to hurt at a certain point. And then the pain sets in, and what you want to, what your body tells you to do when you're working out or you're running is to back it down a notch and just coast and don't press in. You're working out, you know, it's, oh, it hurts. No, that's the last one I can do. But you and I know very well, we go, we do five of them, and that fifth one, it's painful, but you know you got number six in there somewhere. You go, number six, and you go, ow! And the guy, the only way this works is if you got to go in and you go, come on! Do another one! And you go, ah, seven. And you keep going until the muscle, you call, it's called muscle failure. And that's the only way you get stronger. Because the next time, if you did eight and you failed on nine, maybe it's not the next time, but it's two times later, then you can do nine or ten. Why? Because you pressed through the pain. Here's what we do in God, beloved. Here's exactly what we do. We go and we pray and we fast. We go for a while and it starts getting painful. All sorts of different measures of pain. Different ways. It could be pain because uh, people on the outside are like, what's wrong with you praying all day? Hello, go do something for God. Hello. You know, did you lose your mind? Or it could be painful like this. On the inside, you're going after God and your heart begins to ache. And you begin to think like this. And I know because I've been there many times. You begin to think, I wish I didn't know what I know. Because if I didn't know what I know, I could just hang back with the rest and just coast. I could be the best of the coasters. You feel the pain of crying out for something real and your heart begins to ache with it. You don't know what to do because you don't know how to get it. And you just keep going and you're in pain and you go, oh, I wish I could stop. It's one of the greatest hindrances to fullness. We must be willing to push past the threshold of pain that calls us to complacency and commonness in our Christianity. Many quit moving forward and settle for a false finish line when the pain of pressing in gets too tough. I know what it's like to pray and not see what my heart dreams of. And I'm, I can't, I don't, my testimony, I can't stand before you and say, I've prayed for 25 years. But I've prayed for about 10 for something that's on the inside of me that I've never seen on the outside. There's a dream of something that's in here I've never seen out there. I've got a little attitude probably because we've always, many times we've called the things that we're seeing around the thing, the that. And I go, I'm telling you. No, no, the, that is way bigger than 
this. My heart pains over it. And so there's the corporate desire, but then there's the personal desire. It's like this. I want to know Him. I really want to know God. And I, and I get in the place of prayer, and you've done this. You get in the place of prayer, and you're, you're crying out to God, or you're, you're doing what you know to do, but you don't feel Him. feels like He's a million miles away. You feel Him, but you don't feel Him. You know, I, I realized the other day, it's like this. When you come in the house of prayer, the room is full of incense. Here's why. There's prayer and worship going on all day long. Worship, it, 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 it's incense. Prayer is incense before the Lord. It fills bowls. They smoke with incense. When you come in this room, you will feel spiritual incense. You don't even have to engage your heart. You can sit in the chair and you can think about whatever and you'll sense the incense in the house, the residual of the worship and the prayer that's going on. But just because I feel incense doesn't mean my face is face to face with His face. And I can feel the incense and the presence of God in the room because incense has been been going up. And I can feel that in the room without feeling His nearness in my heart. And my heart begins to long and I ache and I go, God, don't leave me like this. Please don't leave me like this. I want you too much. I want to know you too bad. And I know what He's doing to my heart. He's expanding my ability to receive. He's expanding my capacity. He's causing me to stretch in longing and in desire. My heart stretches for more of Him. And He goes, before you could only handle five units, now I can give you eight because you've stretched to be able to receive 12. And I go, eight is good, but I'm still missing four. I still feel the ache. He goes, stretch, son. And I stretch to be able to receive 20. And he gives me four more, so I've got 12 now, but my ache is eight. And in the same breath, I say this to my wife, I go, I feel like I know him more than I've ever known him, and I'm further away from him than I've ever been. It's painful, Jesus. He goes, don't stop. If you seek me, you'll find me. Don't let the pain deter you, son. Just enter into it with me because I suffered. I long for a bride. He goes, there's an ache in my heart for something too. He goes, wouldn't you fellowship with me just for a moment in that? Second thing that hinders us from continuing to press is the call to commonness. It's a loud voice that tells us as the church, we shouldn't be radical. You don't have to give yourself all the way to this thing because if you just, you just, you know, you can get along just fine if you just live ordinary. Plenty of good ordinary people doing a lot of good things in God. Just be common. We hear that all day long. It's okay. Don't stick out. Don't be radical. Don't go after God. Just be you need to calm down about this. The call to commonness, I'm telling you, beloved, it will absolutely sap you from pressing past the false finish lines into fullness.
And then there's the third thing, the allure to be agreeable. I, was, I had some alliteration going tonight. <laughs> Pain from pressing, call to communists, and the allure to be agreeable. You know what it is? At the end of the day, most of us, we don't want to be disagreeable. There's not, there's not one of us that just wakes up in the morning and goes, I just want to get in a few arguments today. I just want to argue with a few people, be disagreeable, be cantankerous, and have an attitude. Most of us don't think like that. Most of us have a sincere relationship with Jesus, and our hearts are alive at some level with God. And we're like, you know, as much as I want, you know, I want to be at peace. So we don't want to be disagreeable. Yet, there's got to be a clarion call in the body of Christ, especially in the West. So, who will stand up and say, there must be more. I won't stop until I experience it. So this desire to be agreeable, there's an allure. It says, hey, don't stick out. See, if we as a people will not stand and cry out for something real from heaven because we think it might be disturbing to other, others, we settle for being unified with others at the expense of touching God. It's unity and complacency. Who will have a clarion call in their spirit that says, there is more and I won't stop? believe God's dreaming of a people that'll be like that. He's dreaming of people that will move. Even when their hearts are aching, they'll move in for more of God. I just, this week, I just, my wife said this to me. She said, I've never seen you like this. I just sat on the floor in our bedroom, just, just aching. I know there's more. I'm just saying, honey, I just, I just know there's more. I, I know I'm, I'm touching him, but I know there's so much more. I don't know what to do. My heart's just breaking and just painfully in desire. I pray as a people we would, we would live there. I told my wife, I said, I, said uh, I don't mind living here. Let's hope it doesn't last for three years or something because this hurts. There's this principle that we've got to get our minds around. It's called measure versus fullness. In order to understand what fullness is, we've got to understand that most everything we touch in Christ, we touch it first introductorily. First in an introductory manner. For, for someone to answer an altar call and for me to say, you know God, i.e. in fullness, that is, that is we, we've, got to, we've got to lose that language. We've got to understand that when the person answers the altar call and that they do genuinely get born again, they've been introduced to God. But their hearts have not begun to scratch the surface on plumbing the depths of the knowledge of who this one really is. There is a life journey of searching and attaining and touching and receiving and revelation that draws you into a well of, of, of a flowing, unbelievable experience. In the, not just in the knowledge of revelation of who He is. Before there are any miracles, before there's any goosebumps, just revelation to the Spirit of who God is. There is a, a lifelong journey to know Him. When we get saved, we understand Him in a measure, but then we are 
immediately uh, called to live this life uh, running headlong into the knowledge of who he is. We understand in a measure the love of God. We're called to plumb the depths, the four dimensions of his passionate burning heart for us. God is zealous for you, beloved. His emotions are zealous. Jealous God, a consuming fire. What does that look like? I know I don't know his love. I know it. I've got an introductory measure, and it causes my heart to ache. So we've got to understand the difference between a measure and fullness. We mistake many times believing the introductory measure of Revelation is the experience of the Spirit in fullness. It's just the introduction. (laughs) I'm not mad. I'm just a mess. This is what you get. You might have ordered the light and fluffy peep version of Easter service tonight. I'm like, I'm dying up here. You ended up getting, like, the raw red meat version. You're like, I ordered the marshmallows? Meat. Red meat. Did you cook it a little? No, blood. We're getting blood. That's how I feel. Fourfold. My version of a fourfold expression of fullness. Let me just run through these and we'll close. Jesus, would you just come? Number one. I touched this a minute ago, but if it's going to be fullness of God, it's definitely going to be fullness of love. It's fullness of God. He goes, I want to fill you with fullness. It will be fullness of love. It will be fullness of the, the emotions, the desires, the passions, the zeal. The burning that's in his heart. It will be the fullness of that for you. What am I talking about? I'm talking about living in a state of experientially knowing God's emotions and passions and zeal for you. You know it You know it to the greatest degree you could possibly know it for real. You live there. What does that look like? I guarantee you this. Fullness of love equals fullness of pleasure. Guaranteed. What is the experience of being loved by the one who is love itself without restraint and without walls? What does that look like? When the heart is made to respond, your heart, here's what you got to understand, your heart is made to respond the most, it is made to respond the most to the love of God. So what happens when God opens the floodgate and, and absolutely just, just floods you with the love that your heart was created to sense as the greatest experience of pleasure in your life. It will be eruptive. Fullness of love is fullness of pleasure. It's living at the highest experiential level of pleasure possible. And in that reality, in the reality of being desired by the one who is He's eternal and He's divine and He desires you. 
in your humanity and your finiteness. The eyes of God are set on you. The passion of God is aimed at you. You step into that place and he uncorks it in a measure you've never imagined. Moses goes, I want it. God goes, I can't. It'll kill you. But you, you become the full object of his affection. You are the bullseye. The fire of God and burning passionate love is it's pounding your heart with revelation of his desire, his yearnings for you. It's absolutely explosive to your spirit. It's in that place of full pleasure that you begin to operate in a fullness of giving. Full love means full pleasure. Full pleasure and full love mean fullness of giving. You give away freely. Why why in the West does it cause our brain to tilt when we read about the first century Christians selling all that they had and, and putting it together and they all just lived together and had all things in common? Why? They were operating on a far greater level of the revelation of God's love than we are. Because if you love, you give. Without any strength, you just give. Not under compulsion, not to try to, you know, this guy gave so he gets the, the name on the plaque in the hallway, but this guy only gets the name on the plaque in the chair. It's not about that. It's just, it's, my, it's yours, beloved. Here, just, hit, just, do you want something? Here, take it. Need my car, need my shoes, need my house, have it. It's all right. Fullness of giving. means living without fear I'll have to pick up on this all next week fullness of love means living without fear it really does mean that perfect love casts out all fear no fear of man not ever considering what another thinks about you. So secure and safe in the love of God. So alive. So secure. No concern for if I say this, what do they think? If I wear this, what do they think? They're looking at me when I walk in the room. What are they thinking? No concern for any of it. No fear at all. Not from your parents. Not from your boss. Not from the one that is the most fearful to you. No fear. Safety, comfort, and trust. You're living in love. It's the fullness of God. You know, for most of us, if we could just get delivered of fear of man, if we could just get enough love to deliver us from fear of man, it would be so revolutionary. It'd be like revival all over. No fear of man. Can you imagine? What about this? No fear of obedience. God goes, sell it all and move to Uzbekistan. You go, totally. You don't need 12 confirmations, an angel, and an audible voice. I am my beloved's and he is mine. You know his voice. My she- he says, my sheep know my voice. He goes, Billy, move. Do this. I go, what are they going to think? Twelve reasons I need multiple confirmations. You know, so 
One, some of us, we envy the guy with 25 prophetic words on it. Look at it from the other side. The guy with 25 prophetic words probably wouldn't have done it if he didn't have those. The Lord goes, I don't need to give you 25. You kind of, you obey a little more quickly. You go, but I don't got the cool prophetic words. He goes, you said yes real easy. You, you, you're fine. Imagine having no fear of obeying God. It's in the love of God that we realize that being on the water, walking with the Lord, is way safer than being in the boat with all the other guys getting ready to drown. It's in the love of God. Only in the love of God it casts out all fear. It's a lifestyle of operating in full humility, yet in confident boldness. I struggle with that. As soon as I get bold, I get real cocky. I go, God, I want to know what it means to know your love in such a measure that I can be bold and fiery without coming across arrogant. I want to be, I want to be kind and tender and firm in calling us to a life in God that we've never known. Fullness. We don't know what this is, beloved. But I want to. We're going for it. We're not going to stop. We won't let them tell us, just need to calm down. We're not going to try to be agreeable. We're going to be loving, even if it means being disagreeable. We're not going to stop when it starts hurting so bad that we don't know what to do. The heart's aching. You're saying, God, could you just... Oh, no, there's been many nights I've just gone to bed. I'm going, God, tonight would be a great night for a dream. Could you just, could you just call me and just speak to me definitively tonight? And it usually, his voice usually comes like this. He's just like, oh, Billy. You don't really need that. I really love you. I need a dream. I want to visit. He goes, oh, no, you're okay. Just take it this way. It's really better. What about that? Will you, beloved, when your heart aches for more of God? I mean, when you, what I mean is when you strip away the religious veneer and you get rid of the praise God, hallelujah, I'm blessed. Get rid of that. You go, if I don't touch him, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't really touch God and I don't live in a life that's alive and flowing in the reality of what he promised. I really don't know what I'm going to do. Will you press past in the pain of it and just, just keep moving forward? Something he promised, he said, that you would know the height, the width, the depth, the length. Know the love of Christ. Because if you'll know the love of my son, you'll know the fullness of the love of God that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Just stand. Just a few minutes, we're going to have that information meeting. I just want to encourage you to, if you have any questions at all, make your way there. Jesus.
Satisfy me. 